everybody, welcome to Sweet Morning Life Live. Today we're going to look at the meaning of the gates to heaven and hell. Because in the Bible, they talk about not just the gates of heaven, the pearly gates, who hasn't heard about that? That's right. But also there's gates to hell. And what kind of, what kind of God is setting up gates to everything? And why are we gating things in the spiritual world in the first place? What message does it send about how we should treat each other in this world? Kind of strange. Yeah. And yeah. by the way, thanks for hanging out. My name is Curtis Childs and I'll be your host. We should probably introduce ourselves before we're too incredulous. Okay. Right? Because people aren't going right. to know where we're coming from. This is I'll Dr. Hold Jonathan a, a little Rose, bit of incredulity. Series editor of the New Century Edition translation hey of, of Swedenborg's Theological Works. And while you're here, if you've been enjoying this series, if it's your first time, skip this part. But if you're enjoying the series, please like and subscribe. This is a way for you to help us reach the rest of YouTube, and hopefully that's, that's a lot of the world, too. And enter your elevator pitch ideas in the chat. Anybody who's watching, new or seasoned, there's going to be something happening very spontaneously later in the show <laughs> where we are, you are going to be able to give us what's a topic, what's a piece of Swedenborg's worldview that you want us to just totally un, unprepared riff on for 60 seconds. Get them in now in the chat. We'll grab them and put them in, and, and you'll see. It's real. So, now... Every single show, speaking of responsiveness, every single show that we do here in Sweden Morgan Life Live is in response to something that you have asked. And so this question that we're basing this on came out of a full question and answer show. We had a program mm -hmm. where we were just taking audience questions the whole time. We didn't have time to answer all those questions. And we got in this episode this question afterwards, which Ethan Miller was asking. What is the Swedenborgian interpretation of straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it? Ah. If we're equating life with heaven, this does seem to be an issue. That's right. That's right. And, and I believe the passage mentions hell in there, so it seems pretty clear that life equals heaven yes. in a sense of eternal life and that kind of thing. So why are you going if to... You're, if you're God and you're supposed to be nice... You're supposed to be a kind, benevolent, omnipotent being, and heaven is supposed to be the greatest state anyone can achieve, eternal happiness. Why would you make it hard to find? That's right. That's right. And, and straight just doesn't mean it's kind of direct. It means it's same as narrow. It's crowded. Yes. The very the few people can even find it. So is it like God is making it difficult, kind of playing hide and seek, and then there's this huge entry to hell, so most people will just fall in there accidentally or something, and then there's a yeah. tiny little way to get to heaven. Is that what's That's going on? That's inappropriate. The stakes are too high to play games like that. So let's That's see right. if we can't get in there, unpack what is the meaning, why are we talking about these gates, and how can that be relevant to all of our lives right now? Mm. And to begin with that relevance, let's ask ourselves the following icebreaker question. As we answer this here, we want all of you to answer it in the chat as well, because we we, we're going to give an answer, but these are questions that don't have a definitive answer, and actually everyone can have a new layer of insight into this. And right. If you're watching in post, after, still in the comments, we'd love to know your answer to the icebreaker question. Those of you who leave it here during the live show, at the end of the show, we're going to display yours for the world to see. The world-ish. I mean, yeah. most of the world is watching this show. Yeah. So as we look at the gates to heaven and hell, let we begin that journey by pondering this. H how or where can we look for heaven while living on earth? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Because uh, you might think at first glance, like, 
you ca you can't like you can't see heaven yeah. from earth. You just have to wait until after death or, or something. But part of what Swedenborg is saying is that heaven is all around us. It's within us, and we can find it if we look for it. So, to me, some of those kind of characteristics that Swedenborg talks about, and we talk about a lot on this show, are uh, kindness, justice, mercy, compassion. Um, those kind of qualities. So when you see those either in your own heart or in an interaction between other people out there, you think, oh, it, heaven is active. And part of the deal is that heaven is kind of quiet a lot of the time. Don't you think it's like it's not really noisy? It, that's not the way it rolls. It's often playing a long game. So it can take some looking to, to find it. But those yeah. are places that I look. And you think about what's, how do you tell heaven apart from, there's so many places where people might say, oh, I feel like I'm in heaven. I'm in heaven. This is heavenly. Usually we will use it for shorthand to just mean this is good. I this is fun. This feels I'm good. This feels good. I'm enjoying this. This is something I want. Yes. But what heaven, the core of heaven is, is its joy that is perpetually sustainable. This is something that That's is right. not going to wear itself out. Mm. It doesn't matter what nice new thing you buy. It will feel great. It will feel like heaven for a limited amount of time. And then it's not sparkling in the right. same way. What, so what does last, and, and also you really know that something's not heaven if it's creating hell for other people. So That's right. What, where I find it, it Swedenborg says the core of what heaven is, is when you're excited about doing something that serves the greater good. So there are times when, and this can happen just as much at your job, when you really get the feeling of you actually aren't even thinking about what it does to your uh, ra ranking in the hierarchy relative to other people or the material rewards you get, but you're just thinking about the actual impact. If you can get any kind of joy out of that, that's a little, like, quiet taste of what heaven is. And I think already we're starting to see that we're not talking about a location. That's right. Not a location. And what you're making me think of right now is that there's also an experience I've had that I'm sure everybody's had where I have a thought I let's say I give something to somebody. Yeah. After I give it to them, my joy, my good feeling, like doubles. Yeah. Y you know. Right. It's not a zero sum game. You know, you hand it over at an increase. So that's partly where I look for heaven too, is yeah. that increase that happens sometimes. Synergistic yeah. relationships that actually can be better for both of us through this interaction. And so all this stuff you're talking about, you don't have to be in. Louisiana to have this happen or be in Ottawa. It's not locational, is it? Yeah. So that, that has implications for these gates that we're talking about. Because if spiritual things aren't necessarily uh, delineated by placement, but, but by state, how but can you have a, a gate state. over something? Right? Yeah, so what is a gate to a state? What is a state gate? What is a state gate? We'll find out in the next section. To begin, I guess we already began it. I mean, I guess the icebreaker's beginning, but I feel we're beginning in earnest now. We're really getting into okay. setting you up with the things we need to know to process the meaning of these two heavenly gates. And we want to start, we're not going to start in the Bible, you know, because some people think, well, I don't have anything to do with the Bible. We're going to start in some weird, obscure place like Emanuel Swedenborg's theological writings. Let's just start in common human experience. Oh. Why don't we do that? Okay, that's unusual. And we're going to describe a phenomenon that I think people will agree 
is everywhere. Uh, and w one way you can tell something is everywhere is that it's all over the internet. Here's a couple of articles where we ha are seeing people express this notion that we see what we're looking for. So this is expressed in calmeru.com. Once we have an idea about something and it takes root in our subconscious mind, our brain causes us to notice it more in our lives. The brain is constantly filtering information, helping us to notice certain things and ignore other things. We, without this mental filtering, there would be far too many bits of information mm. for us to cope with. You'd be the fact, yeah, the fact is we notice what we look for and not what is necessarily there. Like right now there, hmm. I, I read an and in there, what we look for ah. and not what is necessarily there, <laughs> because I just thought that's how a sentence would go. Yeah, right, but it wasn't actually there. Yeah. And you, it kind of goes against, like what we want to be the case is that our eyes just clearly perceive exactly what is in front of us. Yes. Our ears hear precisely what's going on. It's not about that we're filtering it or adjusting it in some way. Yeah. And, and so you can sort of think, oh, no, I'm getting an absolutely accurate impression. But the fact is you all, you know, haven't you had the experience where you sit in a restaurant and you're looking at the menu and like one or two things on the menu just like look like they're written in twice as large a font as anything yeah. else? Because, oh, I love that. You know, I know I, I don't know what this is, but I love that. Yep. Absolutely. So, and this is not the only website who's pointing this out. We have another one here. This is from Patheos or Patheos. I never know which one that is. I see what I want to see. I see what I am looking for. Mm. What am I looking for and why am I looking for it? There's comfort to familiarity. Even if that thing we are familiar with is bad. Oh. The patterns of my life are constantly searching to validate themselves. It goes on. The door with certain predispositions, biases, and preferences. These perceptions feed on, on themselves, and I spend my day looking for evidence to validate and reinforce what I already know. In order to see more, I have to look for more. Isn't that we say, like, uh, you, you have really your little sort of news bubble, and you just get more and more an echo chamber around you of people who agree with you? That's right. Yeah, and so it is very much the same sort of point, isn't it? That, that you, and it's a very interesting idea that we already have something in our minds that we're looking for, that we yeah. expect to see. Sometimes this disrupts conversation, doesn't it? Because yeah. you have an idea of what the other person's going to say. You think, oh, they're probably going to say something critical. And then they, anything they say will suddenly strike you as critical. Uh, yeah. Even though, no, I'm not really hearing what the other person's saying because I'm already having the conversation in my head. Yeah. I, that's just not a very good point. But, but don't take that critically. Why are you, <laughs> so th this was just recently somebody I knew was telling me that they had to go talk to somebody at work and they could tell, they, as soon as they started the conversation, the other person already knew, what, already had what yeah. they were going to say mapped out. There okay, wasn't going right. to be any back and forth no there. Give and take. Um, let's go, we have one more here. So this is, we see what we look for from stream.org. Our society is trained to look for things to complain about. It's easy to hone in on the problems because they're everywhere. It's one of my favorite It's almost times. as if we view our state of affairs as catastrophic <laughs> I think that's all so the time. Funny. That's so true. <laughs> it's just like in a constant rolling state of catastrophe. That's right. No matter what. So let's train ourselves to look for the good mm. in the world. Long we'll see the goodness everywhere. We won't be able to help it. I like that idea. And it would be tough to turn that around, you know, like looking for something different than you've been looking for. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that, that would take some effort, wouldn't it? So they were going a lot into the sort of almost spiritual sense of seeing uh, and what we understand and what we, how we interpret life. But even just looking around, you know, w you can miss things. There were, again, 
an, an unverified anecdote from my life. Uh -huh. uh, we bought my daughter Hasn't a... Hasn't been independently attested. We, we bought my daughter a trampoline for Christmas, and it was... It's like an eight-foot trampoline within that. Or it's pretty big and pretty visible. <laughs> we had somebody come to our house, a friend of ours, and they walked right by it and didn't see it. It was nighttime, but there were lights on. This is just something you're not used to. You can you can miss just like There's that. There's no trampoline in the yard. They're yeah. not looking for it. Yeah, because why would yeah. they get that, right? Right. Why are they more responsible than a trampoline mm. dangerous? Uh, so that's how it feels. And there is some observational science that, that is backing up this stuff. So this is a psychological research article about it, or, uh -huh. or a composite from psychologytoday.com. It, it, it was talking about why we see what we want to see. Okay. A phenomenon called motivated perception has been oh. explored in psychological research for decades. Indeed, the world as we conceive it in our awareness is not exactly an accurate representation of what it truly is. I thought it was. Yeah, what's up with that? Well, mine is. Our perception is often biased, selective, and malleable. Malleable. Mm. Even our desires can affect what we see by impacting the way we process visual information. Our desires. It, very interesting. Like your desires are looking out through your eyes and uh, impacting what you're seeing. And since you're just seeing what you want to see, to you, <laughs> it, you may think we just had some kind of technical glitch that made us have to redo part of it and we were off the air for a few minutes. That's not true. You just wanted to see that, so you saw it. Okay, so let's <laughs> now look, that, th look and see that these earlier articles where it seems like it feels like th we only see what we want to see, there's actual science, science behind it to back it up. Right. All right, so this is a quote from Psychology Today which we're going to pull up here and now, but it's not on the screen in front of me. There it goes. Ah. It is to you. All of you saw it. I just couldn't see it for a second. All right. The, the troubled waters are behind us. A phenomenon called motivated perception has been explored in psychological research for decades. I like the phrase motivated perception. I think that's really interesting. That's yeah. sort of like there's something driving your perception. It's not just... Yeah, it's a little bit of, Transparent. of a euphemism. Indeed, the world as we conceive it in our awareness is not exactly an accurate representation of what it truly mm. is. Uh. Our perception is often biased, selective, and malleable. Mm. Even our desires can affect what we see by impacting the way we process visual information. Why are we prone to seeing what we want to see? Recent research published in Na Nature Human Behavior demonstrates how our motivations and desires can give rise to two biases perceptual bias, when our motivations have a top-down influence on our perceptions, and a response bias, when we report seeing what we wish to see. No, no, I got it. My, my trophy was first place. I, I remember it clearly. <laughs> so, yeah, from both ends, you, you, you can impose your will on, on your perception. If this is how the world works physically, it no, should be no surprise that Swedenborg reports this same thing happening on the spiritual side of life. This is from Secrets of Heaven 1017, where he talks a little bit about sort of spiritual, see what you want to see. Yeah, okay. 
in general, and spiritual being psychological here, in general, when the premise is wrong, only falsity can result from it because everything conforms with the premise. As a matter of fact, those who confirm themselves in principles of this kind concerning faith alone... One of his hobby horses. What is it? In in four seconds. In four seconds, it's the idea that your beliefs save you regardless of your actions. And who have no charity, right, none of those actions, lack any interest in the many things the Lord said, so often said about love and charity, they seem not even to see those statements. So that's great. So what he's saying is the Bible is full of statements about you have to, you know, it depends on the way you live, uh, those who treat others well are saved, those who don't are not, uh, you know, it goes, it's all through, it's in the epistles, it's in the gospels, it's in the Old Testament, and yet uh, they don't hear that. They hear a a statement from Ephesians about faith or something. The other stuff might as well be a trampoline in the night that they walk right right by. That they just walk right, that's so beautiful. It's interesting that Actually, that's, that's one of the tamest ways in which this principle shows up spiritually. As we'll be digging into in, in the future of this episode, there's a lot of iterations of this. You only see what you want to see on the spiritual level. But this, mm. being selective about uh, scriptural ideas, is the first one. So, so Because lo- you have preconceived ideas, so that's, yeah. a, that's a bias or something right, right, that right. you bring in. Yeah. So where's this whole, uh, where's this quote from? First of all, let's get some context. This is from the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of the better known parts of the Bible, Matthew 5 through 7. And uh, Jesus is talking to uh, a whole group of gathered people. He's on a mountain, he's talking to everybody. And so we can see that they're not talking about a gate that's hidden or exclusive. It's not like, I'm only going to let certain people into heaven, so I'm going to make it really difficult to find, and I'm going to keep everybody out. Okay. But instead, if you, if you read this carefully, you'll see it's more about what people were interested in. What are they looking for? Right. How many people are looking for the heaven gate? How many are looking for the hell gate? All right. Let's so here's Matthew chapter 7. Enter through the narrow gate. This is advice from Jesus. Yeah. For broad is the gate, and open the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who walk along it. Destruction there meaning hell. Yeah. Um, confined is the path, and narrow the gate that leads to life, and there are few who find it. And so to reiterate something we said earlier, the idea that life here means heaven, and destruction means hell, is not only something Swedenborg says, but a lot of Christianity views this passage that way. That's right. It is a Swedenborgian correspondence. Life is heaven, but the, uh, the you, you don't get pushback from, from traditional no. Christians on that as That's well. That's right. Okay, That's so... Right. That's a very comfortable equation then. In this quote, actually, the, the, the width or the narrowness of these these spiritual conditions you can end up in heaven or hell actually have to do with how many people are choosing that path rather than the state of some external path. Swedenborg wrote in Heaven and Hell 534, Mm. the way that leads to life is not narrow because it is difficult, but because so few people find it as stated. And if you go back, if you rewind and, uh, you know, what we said earlier, or look at that quote in Matthew chapter 7, it really does say that. Few, there are few who find it. There are many who find it. So it's like any other path in yeah. this world, that if a lot of people walk in, in a certain part of a field, 
you get a wide path there. Yeah. And if only a few or just one deer goes uh, through yeah. there occasionally, you'll get a very narrow path. But what's this find? What does find mean? Because isn't that oh, okay. still setting up just like the gates in the beginning? God has made the good way hard to find. Like he's hiding it or yeah. something like that. Yeah, like it's, it's really, really difficult. And that's frustrating. Well, Swedenborg would say find equals interested in. So like yeah. you're able to find something that you're, the person could maybe wasn't interested in trampolines or something. You know, uh, like you've, you, you see guy. things that, that it's amazing sometimes if you, like two different people riding in a car, if one is interested in yard sales or, yes, right. you know, trash picking or something As like I that. Am. Yes, boom. They'll, they'll see stuff that the other person who's interested in birds or sunsets or something is, is seeing different things out of the car window. So now we could take that and apply it to not something as serious as yard sales, but to something just like, oh, you know, heaven. Salvation or something. Yes, yeah. right. Yeah, so people see and find what they're interested in looking for. Here's Divine Providence 250. People, uh, he starts with a little bit of vinegar here at the beginning sure. here. People who worship themselves and the material world, let's get it right out there. Yeah. You know, guilty. Think that rank and wealth are the highest possible joys. In other words, prestige, you know, like rank, you know. It could be social rank. Like, like could be social rank Anything. or just feeling superior to other people. Yeah. You know it when you feel it. This is just, I, the only reason I'm happy now is because I know other people aren't getting this right get. or if you ever find yourself having to say don't you know who i am yeah. you know that yeah, kind of which thing, right? i certainly do yes that's right rank and wealth are the highest possible so the, the certain kind of people think that rank and wealth are the highest possible joys in fact swedenborg amends his statement to say the only possible joys joy itself yeah. is the very definition of joy and there really can be nothing else if they think at all about God because of their first childhood religion, in other words, maybe they grew up with some sort of exposure to religion, so they, they think about God, they call these things divine blessings. What does he mean by these things? Oh, they're talking about the wealth yeah. and the rank. So if you come from a religious background, but you're really fixated on this, then you say, oh, more money, like I had a really good year, yeah. that's such a blessing from God. That I'm, I'm highly favored, I'm, I'm in a good state. And as long as they have no higher aspirations than this, zing, you know, like he's saying, actually that's not a very lofty, you may think, oh, I want to be the most important person in my, you know. Yeah, but that that's know, not my, actually. My local, you know, community right. garden group or something. Yeah. But uh, no higher aspirations than this. They believe that God exists and worship him. But it's kind of a fair weather situation here. In fact, both in fair weather and foul, it seems to go badly. However, there's something hidden in their worship, meaning their regard for God, that they themselves do not know about. An assumption that God will keep raising them to higher honor and greater wealth. Like that's how you know you're blessed. It's gonna, you're going to keep the party going. If they do achieve this, okay, so let's say they get the desires of their heart. You think, well, surely they worship God and they're really excited about God. No, their worship tends more and more into superficiality until it drifts away. And eventually they trivialize and deny God. I think maybe quietly in their heart they thought, well, it wasn't really God. I mean, yeah. I succeeded, right? right? I mean, I kept succeeding. Well, it, and it's a tried and true axiom or, uh, that 
the easier things are going in your life, the less interested in God you are. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's because true. It's like, if I don't need that. super comfortable, yeah. yeah, yeah, you're not on your knees, you know, praying to God. Yeah. And uh, what about if, on the other hand, like, let's say it goes badly and they lose the money or they lose respect or right. their position or something like that. Well, it says here, they do the same if they lose the respect and wealth on which they've set their hearts. It's not talking about just having any relationship to it, but that's really the prime, the prime, the primo, you know, supreme kind of joy to yeah. you. In that case, what are rank and wealth, but problems to these evil people? I like the way that he laid it out there to say, hey, let's say you get what you want. Yeah. It's going to be a problem because you're going to stop worshiping God. Let's say you don't get it. You're going to be mad at God. Yeah. You're going to lose your faith in either case. They are not these things rank and wealth, yeah. are not problems to the good because they do not set their hearts on them. Isn't there something in the Bible about that? They focus rather on the service or the good that respect and wealth can help them accomplish. Now you can see that wealth could help you, but actually when people respect you and listen to you, you're in a position to do them a kind of good yeah. that if they don't think you have anything to say, you know, so both of those can be very helpful. The Lord tells us that there are many people who are loves for themselves and the world. Oh, he does. And few who are loves for God. When does he say that? Oh, when he says, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in through it, but tight and narrow, a little bit different wording, it's great, is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. So, if we're so he's yeah. brought it around to our past. If we're saying that what, uh, you know, placing love of your own dominion over other people and love of material gratification as the greatest things in your life, if that's the way, if that's a way to destruction. And if you think that that is what joy, like what, what other joy are you talking about? Like the mm. good, goodness is elevation in those things. You are not looking for this subtle, as you mentioned in the icebreaker question, the subtle mm. joys of that, that like the good people he describes in this quote of using those things to be of service. It could be totally alien to think what you, you get rich just so that you can do good for people. Like that's the point. But if, if you are st strategizing your life in that way or aligning your life around that, that is looking for the narrow path. Because it's really easy if you just break it down to an individual level. It's very easy to just get sucked in by ego-based stuff, but to try to look through that to the, the deeper the spiritual joys that's a narrow get path, mm. but the more people that, that the m more often we in our own lives and the more people in aggregate take the time to cultivate those little joys and actually fight against ourselves when necessary to make those things a priority, we are widening the path. Ah. We are making it so that, that eventually it could be that the, the path that leads to heaven is the big highway. It's the wider one. Okay. Right. Cool. So, it, we're set up now. We've got the, the premise in our minds. We're, we know basically what we're looking at with these gates. Now let's look at three concepts in that arena and see how they could apply. Okay, so let's see what we can learn about these gates. And it's Swedenborg, so you know this is coming at some point. The, the, and I think one of the pivotal lessons here is that there's these gates, and sure, you could talk about them as gates to heaven and hell, but there's two gates inside of each of us all the time. And it's these two gates within our psyche 
that really, this is where we're really interfacing with opening or shutting these things. So this is from Secrets of Heaven, mm. 2851. As for the symbolism of a gate, there are two general kinds of gate in each of us. One lies open to hell and lets in the evil and falsity from there. Where did this stuff come from? Why am I constantly trying to clean out evil and falsity? Well, there's a gate. There's a gate in into hell. In that gate stand hellish demons and spirits. The mm. other lies open toward heaven and lets in the goodness and truth from there. In that gate stand angels. So there is a gate that leads to hell and a gate that leads to heaven. The gate to hell opens to people who wallow in evil and falsity. So it may not be open. There may be stuff sort of leaking through, but it, it, it really opens yeah. if you make certain life choices. Well, here you see the reverse word, that the gate to heaven, and only through chinks all around them overhead does any light from heaven enter, because uh -huh. the gate to heaven is shut, right. enabling them to think and reason which heaven is always going to give you those abilities, no matter what. Yeah, doing. awfully the, nice to them. The gate to heaven, on the other hand, opens to people who devote themselves, devote themselves to the goodness and truth that come from there. There are two paths, and this is the path leading to the gate, that lead to a person's rational mind. A higher or more inward path, and that gives access to goodness and truth from the Lord and a lower or more outward path through which evil and falsity sneak in from hell. Sneak in. Yeah. The rational like the difference mind, between give access and sneak in. Yeah, right, right. It sort of shows you the different motivations there. The rational mind itself lies at the meeting point of the two paths. Mm. What you, isn't, isn't rationality, isn't that, uh, there's a, like a, a Latin root there that means it's, we're, we're at the intersection of choice? Yeah, that's right. Two words come to mind. One is that the, the word underlying rationality has that idea of ratio in it, like you yeah. compare and contrast, you know. And the word intellect, which is also involved in that, m means literally to choose between. Lectus is, is choose and inter is between. So it's the thing that's choosing between things. So yeah. that's very much the idea of this rational mind that we all have. Well, and there's this huge shift in perspective on your consciousness that Swedenborg provides, where we go from here's my field of consciousness, and wow, I came up with that really bad idea, and I came up <laughs> with this good one, great, that actually what we are is there's, there's a draft coming in from heaven and from hell, and what we are tasked with doing is seeing and identifying which one we're going to accept and, and act on and That's right. metabolize. To mm. turn to specifics, the gate of your foes in the Bible is the gate we have in our earthly minds. Yeah, there's certain passages that talk about your enemies will stand yeah. in the gate or th things like this. That's right. Why is there all these gates coming up? There's all these gates. And hasn't that gone out of style? Gates are not that relevant to 21st century society. That's right. But they're all over the Bible. So did we just pass that behind? No, there's, there's an eternal meaning of gate. Yeah, that's right. When we are thoroughly earthbound, when we have not been reborn, evil and falsity occupy this gate. Another way to put it is that evil demons and spirits stream in through this gate with all their evil cravings and false convictions. Mm. When we become spiritual, though, or in other words, when we are being reborn, evil and falsity, or evil demons and spirits, it's anything, it's just a person who's been overtaken by these ideas, are driven from that gate or from that part of our minds. Amazing. Once they have been driven off, goodness and truth or neighborly love and faith take over. This happens to each of us individually when we are being reborn and likewise to anyone who enters the Lord's kingdom in the next life. It also happens to people in general, or in other words, to the church, which is composed of many people. So you can go through this collectively as well as individually. Yeah. This shows clearly that the gate of heaven is the place where angels live in us. 
That is where goodness and truth coming from the Lord touch us. Wow. And it's one and the same. There there are two gates then, as noted above. It's one and the same. There is heaven and hell, and those intersect in each of us in a different way. And we can be, we're walking the path right now. We can choose which path today am I walking. Am I walking through the hell gate? Am I walking through the heaven gate? Which one am I opening up? Even minute by minute, it's like, which one am I trampling? Am I trampling toward this gate? Am I tramp? Yeah. You know, am I making the way yeah. narrow or wide by by the choices that I? It's so typical of Swedenborg to bring it that close to home, and and to to try to balance this ratio or or shift it to be more of this bright shiny yes. gate. Uh, that is the process of rebirth. He talked in there about rebirth yes, and regeneration. If you think, hey, I want more than generic, like be good, don't be bad on how to do this regeneration <laughs> thing, we have myriad shows about that. We have a show about repentance, which is called Repentance, How to Be in Heaven Now. There's a little path for you right there. We also have a show called Regeneration, How Radical Love is Born. This is the process mm. of being reborn. And also the day-to-day process of our salvation. We get really into these two gates. You see those are the two gates right there? There they are. They're right there. Can't believe it. Okay. So, there's one seed, the gates, the, the real gates that we're talking about. Sure, God is talking about what happens in heaven and hell on a large scale. Really where it matters is inside of us, and that's what matters today. That's right. And an interesting way about, the an interesting thing about the way that Swedenborg describes the spiritual world is that the features of our minds and hearts become externalized in the spiritual world. So in the afterlife, after we pass on, we will actually see gates, not because they're physical gates, but because they're that same thing that we've been dealing with in this world. Yeah. And so this can manifest. We can actually see them. We, we can even see them about other people. We can see what path they're on and things like that. He talks about this in Heaven and Hell 534. I was once shown the way to heaven and the way to hell. Okay, we got story time here. Yeah, that's This is right. something that Swedenborg saw in a in a kind of a a vision or an experience of the spiritual world, how this manifests. There was a broad path. Oh, interesting. It was broad, okay? Leading off to the left or north, and the directions in the spiritual world are are meaningful. There seemed to be a great many spirits traveling along it, and spirits are just people who've passed on. They still have physical bodies and everything, and they're walking along this path. Right. In the distance, though, I could see a fairly large boulder where the broad path ended. Then two paths led off from the boulder, one to the left and the other on the other side to the right. So they went off in opposite directions after this boulder. The path to the left, hmm, wonder why we're reading this tonight. Sure. path to the left was narrow and confined, leading around through the west to the south and therefore into the light of heaven. South is, is good. It's closer to the, the warmth and sun e- and so forth. Yeah. The path to the right was broad and open, leading obliquely down toward hell. At first, everyone was clearly following the same path. Everybody, everybody all together, they're all following the same path as far as the large boulder at the fork. But at that point, they parted company. The good turned to the left and started along the confined path that led to heaven. The evil did not even see Hello, what were they interested in? They right, didn't even see right. the boulder at the fork, but fell over it and hurt themselves. <laughs> okay, I'm not laughing about their 
you know. I don't know not how literal this story is. You know, like he, he's obviously summarizing. It's almost like a little parable, you know. So yes, right. It is kind of a vision of what's going on. When they got up, they rushed along the broad path to the right that led toward hell. Later, the meaning of all this was explained to me. It's interesting. He didn't see the meaning of it right away. Yeah. He's just seeing all this go on. The first path, the broad one, where so many good and evil people were traveling together, chatting with each other like friends, with no visible difference between them, pictured people who live similarly honest and fair outward lives with no visible difference between them. So these are people shuffling through their lives and everybody looks like they're on the same path. There's only one path. And it's, isn't that the frustration of you don't know if this person you're talking to is trying to scam you or if you can trust them or... Right. But that's because everybody wants to look trustworthy regardless right. of whether they are or not. And, and you're, you're all just on the path together. No separation has happened. And then the stone at the fork or corner where the evil people stumbled from which they rushed along the path to hell pictured divine truth. Very interesting. So there's yeah. a depiction of divine truth which is denied by people who are focusing on hell. In the highest sense, this stone meant the Lord's divine human nature. And man, it makes me think of the stone, the, the stone that the builders rejected has yeah. become the head of the corner and other quotes about the stone or the stone in Daniel 2 that becomes a great mountain and fills the whole earth. And, and so uh, why in the symbolism, why they stumble at that is that if they can't really, God is not a human, like, Jesus is not divine or something, you know, then they stumble over that. Yeah, oh, the idea of a loving, wise, con like conscious, human consciousness, human-esque consciousness running things versus it's just cold and nothing or... Right, and, right. and that actually cares about you, has a sense of humor and so yes, on. Yeah, right. right, too much, and they stumble over that. However, people who acknowledge divine truth and the divine nature of the Lord as well were taken along the path that led to heaven. Paths in the other life picture or depict the thoughts that flow from our aims or intentions. Interesting. So you, when, when you're on a certain path, it's like, here's where I'm going. This is where I want to go. When we're on that bad, like we mentioned before, oh, he's on the wrong path. Yeah. That's because we, we're saying he's, his intention is to go get into he's trouble. He's headed in a bad yeah. direction. Yeah, that's not going to turn out well. The paths that are presented to view there in the other world answer exactly to the thoughts of our aims. Very interesting. So they manifest as these pathways and our course follows the thoughts that flow from our aims. This is why you can tell the quality of spirits and of their thoughts from their paths. So in that world, you can actually make a judgment based on, oh, look, they're on that path. What can I tell you? Yes. You know, that's, that's not going anywhere good. The path is a... And a motivational commitment. This is, uh, if you see somebody...